0: Okay, well it is uh, lovely to see you all. Welcome uh, to C3. My name is Jeff Page, part of the preaching team here at uh, the church. And this morning um, we're going to be looking at a message which is a kind of standalone message. So often the messages we do, for those of you who perhaps don't come regularly, um, are part of a series and we look at different things through that series. So it might be a book from the Bible or it might be a particular theme or topic. Whereas I was told it's the 31st of December... It's kind of, a, I think, technically called a freebie, which means I can choose, so this is what I've chosen to talk about, Um, and hopefully as you came in, you'll have got some uh, notes, outline notes, that have got a few of the Bible verses from today's message, a few blanks. If you didn't get those notes, if you put your hand up, then one of the Connect team will uh, give you some of those, which might be useful. Um, Good doodling space, if nothing else. Right, so, I hope you all had a good Christmas. Everyone have a good Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic, that's a... Good positive response, good. Um, hope you enjoyed all the different festivities and the food and um, all the other wonderful things that are associated with Christmas. Um, did you all get some nice presents? Well, that's a little bit more Let me. Everyone get nice presents. Good, good, glad to hear it. Right. Um, I, uh, at, at the church that I grew up in, they used to have this tradition. It was this kind of Anglican church, fantastic church, a great vicar there. Um, and he, on Christmas morning... Uh, kind of partway through the service, he would get all the kids up and the kids would bring with them one of their presents. And they would kind of, perhaps he would then interview them about it, and they'd talk about this present and things like that. And there was, it was a really lovely um, tradition and it had quite an impact on our family because up until that point, my family, had been, my parents had been very much of the, you know, we don't open presents until later in the day. Yeah, so what used to be, we got the stockings in the morning and then we would kind of have breakfast and we wouldn't open the presents before breakfast. And then after breakfast, we'd get ready and we'd go to church. And we'd all go to church, and then we'd come back from church. And once we come up from back from church and we've got stuff sorted, then we would open the presents. However, after a couple of years of there being this kind of interviewing process, and you know, child one, what did you get for Christmas? Oh, I got this wonderful, amazing Lego spaceship, you know, very excited. What did you get for Christmas? Oh, I got the, the new Leeds United football kit. Oh, fantastic, that's amazing. What did you get for Christmas? Oh, I got this pack of pens, you know, which was. I think my parents began to feel a kind of sense of social embarrassment with only having let us open our stockings, and so let us open one present. I think the idea being that we'd open a really good present and could then, you know, say this is what I got. So anyway, that was, that was kind of one of our um, traditions, we'd open one present. And interestingly, along this theme, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago that was talking about um, the relationship or the the, the relationship they perceived, and apparently sociologists and psychologists have looked into between when you're allowed or when you allow your children to open their presents and then their general trajectory in the rest of their lives. Okay, that was basically what the article was saying, is you can map with amazing accuracy and sophistication. You know, basically, uh, if you love your children, don't let them open their presents anywhere near breakfast. Okay, the later, the more you can push it back absolutely the best according to this article so you know if you if the first thing they do is open their presents then you know they've had it basically um if you can make them last till after breakfast that's no bad thing you know if you can push them from after breakfast to later on in the morning maybe after church if you can get them going till after lunch then you're doing really well you know there's a chance that your children may not be delinquent when they grow up um if you can push it till after the queen's speech then my goodness you know you are really setting them up for a life of success this article also talked about um, one particular family where they had the tradition where um, uh, each child, after they opened a present, they would have to then write a thank you card or letter to the people who gave them the present before they could open the next present. I mean, it's, it's like they'd kind of intentionally researched the way we can make this present opening business as miserable as possible. And what they said was they, they, just, they, they worked out after you know, a few years of doing this, they realised that by the end of Christmas Day, there was this kind of pile of unopened presents, most of which looked like books, that the children had clearly decided, well, I'll open it at some point, but to be honest, it's just not worth it. You know, I'm have I've got so I'm going to stick with what I've got here already, rather than having to um, kind of, you know, engage myself in having to write more Christmas letters. So perhaps you could do that as well. Anyway, um, that's uh, different ways of approaching presents. We actually did something different as a family this year. Um, I've kind of got... Um, you know, a growing family with kind of brothers and sisters and their husbands and wives and children and nephews and nieces and all sorts. So we decided for this year, rather than buying endless presents for each other, we would just focus on the nephews and the nieces. So, we, you know, they bought presents for them, uh, but we did, wouldn't buy endless presents for kind of brothers and sisters, etc. Et and we did this for kind of three reasons. The first reason, very simple, just to do with budget. I mean, you know, you, by the time you've got lots of different people it can get quite expensive, even if you don't spend a huge amount of money. So budget was definitely part of it. Um, you know, Part of it was charity. We thought, you know, actually, there's lots of good charities around Christmas that have these kind of different appeals. Um, perhaps we could give some of the money that we save from not buying each other presents to these charities, which was a, you know, felt like a very worthy, almost pious thing to do. But certainly the most important reason of all was that it was just so much easier. I mean, it wasn't really about giving money away. It was just so much easier... Not having to think about you know, all these different presents that we had to buy for all these different people who, on the whole, tended to have already in their life and in their house the things they wanted in their life and their house. You know, if you're trying to... You know, people at different stages in their life, you know, it's different. But you know, a lot of us, we've, you know, we've kind of been living in these houses now for quite a long time. We've accumulated the stuff that we kind of want. So trying to find stuff that we don't have but that we really want is difficult and can be a huge preoccupation. I don't know if anyone here, does anyone here buy stuff from Christmas gift catalogues? Anyone at all? No, you see that's two services in a row. No, one, one, right. Right, okay, so there you go. So one person in two services, which I wasn't surprised by, because you know, I, 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 these catalogues come through the post. I've never met before Barbara, I'm very glad Barbara does. But I've never met anyone that buys things from these catalogues, okay? And I'm sure you buy them very discerningly, so you can please disregard what I'm about to say. But <laughs> you do know the internet exists, so you? you've seen the internet. It's definitely gonna catch on. So anyway, these 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 Christmas gifts catalogues, they, you know, they, you can be confident that if you buy stuff from them, that the people that you're buying for will not, not already have these things. Why? because they seem to be filled with the most ridiculous amounts of useless tat ever imaginable, (laughs) apart from the very thoughtful gifts (laughs) that Barbara... Dare I ask what Howard Howard got for Christmas? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. So, the, the people who design these catalogues seem to do an amazing job of finding problems that don't exist. And then offering you the opportunity to buy overpriced, over-engineered solutions that you can then give to your loved one. I mean, they are utterly ridiculous, often. Um, and of the manifold ridiculous things that they seem to put in these catalogues, I noticed this year a real growing trend. And the growing trend, I'm now where I'm treading, treading on other dangerous territory here, it was for the make-it-yourself gift. Okay, I don't know if any of you received or gave a make-it-yourself gift. Again, please feel free to disregard anything from this message. But the make-it-yourself gift seems to be a hugely growing kind of trend in gift-giving. And the basic concept, as far as I can work out, is it takes things that perhaps people used to make for themselves back in the medieval period, (laughs) and that for several hundred years since then, people have been quite happy allowing other people to make them and then buy it from them or going to shops. And instead of that, they're now making them themselves again. For example... Cheese. Now, I love, I, you know, I love cheese. Cheese is a major preoccupation in my life. Um, I like you know, buying cheese, looking at cheese, unwrapping cheese, smelling cheese, cooking with cheese, eating cheese. I do it all, okay? Cheese is good. But I have zero compulsion or desire to spend any of my time making cheese. I mean, I, I, I really do not want to spend my time making cheese. And yet you can buy these quite expensive, make-it-yourself cheese kits, where you can buy make-it-yourself mozzarella, make-it-yourself halloumi, make-it-yourself ricotta, all sorts of different varieties. And it just seems the most ridiculous amount of faff and effort to go in towards producing something that obviously at the end of the whole process is going to be far less tasty or decently edible than even the most bog-standard plasticky cheese that you could buy off the shelves in your local supermarket. It, to me seems utterly ridiculous. And as I said, these things are expensive. And it's not just cheese. Anybody here make their own soap? Yeah, well, you can now get make it your own soap kits, okay? Which, again, seems just crazy. I mean, I consider it my part of the bargain to produce the sweat. I make my own sweat. I then rely on somebody else to make the soap that can then clean me. Or make your own Prosecco. Anyone make their own Prosecco? You see, there's endless things you can make it yourself. And these kits are everywhere. Now, the most... My favourite of all of them, and this was for £40, was a make-your-own-sausages kit. (laughs) Make-your-own-sausages. £40, what a bargain. And the packaging said, or the thing in the catalogue said, and I don't think this was ironic, it said, confidently provides everything you need to make your own sausages brackets meat not provided which (laughs) it's you think who are these people that are going to get this make your own sausage kit then go and buy the meat and then spend boxing day trying to stuff minced up meat into you know what is in this box apart from sausage wrappings and factory floor sweepings I don't know anyway (laughs) all this got me thinking so you know these seem to be I, I don't know, the kind of gift that you would give to someone that perhaps you think has everything already. But often people say, well, I have everything, but what I don't have is time. Yeah, you've heard people say that kind of thing. So again, a gift that transforms a really kind of quite simple activity, two-minute activity of making a cheese sandwich, into something that you need to invest serious time in over four weeks seems even more incongruous with the lives that many of us lead. So what is it about this make-your-own kind of gift that has so captured people's imagination? Well, I wonder whether maybe on some level it taps into a deeper-seated desire in many of us to lead, in some ways, a more simple and a more authentically real life. You know, perhaps on some level what we are looking for or searching for is a more tangible, physical relationship with some of the core things that constitute our life, like the food that we eat. Rather than just being satisfied with going into a supermarket, buying something plastic wrapped, chucking it in the microwave and then eating it down, we want that more tangible relationship where we are in some way involved in the creation and the processing of the food that we eat. You know, maybe it's a nostalgia for that time when you know, if the car went wrong you could lift up the bonnet armed with a toolkit and a Haynes manual and you could fix it yourself rather than just opening it now and looking at a computer and having no idea. Perhaps it's a nostalgia for a time when as a family we would gather and do family activities together. We wouldn't just sit around just plugged into whatever social media gadget we were using. We'd sit around doing activities that the whole family could be involved in, like playing Monopoly or slaughtering the family pig Maisie and turning her into sausages. You know, what, (laughs) what wholesome family activities people used to spend their lives doing. But what I got to thinking was, well, maybe if there is this genuine felt need inside each of us for this more authentic life. Perhaps, you know, soap-making kits aren't the full solution to that problem, but perhaps we could turn to the Bible for some insight into what an authentic life might look like. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We've got four points, and then in no way comprehensive, I'm sure there are all sorts of other points, but just thoughts or musings on what aspects of an authentic life might look like. Now, the first one in your notes is this, authentic blessings. And it's true that... Certainly most of us could say with confidence that we lead a very blessed life. We are so uh, materially blessed um, and blessed in so many different ways. We've already talked about how Christmas is a wonderful time for food and for feasting. But for many of us, the feasting doesn't kind of just come at Christmas, okay? Many people will be going to parties or dinners tonight for New Year's Eve and having more food. And then often January is quite a busy time of the year, socially lots of things going on, people connecting with people they didn't catch up with at Christmas and the kind of feasting continues. And we live this life where actually we can have huge amounts of these things available to us um, at all different points. And we have a very different relationship with the food that we eat than we used to. And um, one time that the church traditionally focuses on you know, our relationship with food and where food comes from and things like that is the harvest festival. Again, in the church that I grew up in, harvest festival was a big thing. People would bring in their veg, people would do all that kind of stuff. And it would be a time of celebrating around about the time when, you know, the the harvest is brought in, kind of autumn. And we always used to sing this great uh, harvest hymn. I don't know if anyone knows this hymn. I'm going to sing it to you. It's called We Plough the Fields and Scatter. Anyone know this? Feel free to join in. We plough the fields and scatter the good seed on the land. But it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. He sends the snow in winter, the warmth to swell the grain the breezes and the sunshine and the soft, refreshing rain. Here's the chorus. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. So thank the Lord, oh, thank the Lord for all his love. There you go. So that is this amazing, thank you, thank you. This amazing um, amazing hymn to harvest, thanking God for the harvest and the food that we eat. Now, in my church, when we used to celebrate harvest, and this is just, you know, kind of back, going back 25 years, but even 25 years ago, this wonderful hymn felt somewhat out of date, because very few people in the church spent their lives ploughing fields and scattering seeds. They spent lives kind of being accountants, or being in offices, or being teachers, or nurses, or things like that. So um, the vicar actually rewrote the words, and these, I remember these words, I didn't even have to look these up, these are the words that he, we would then sing, instead of that hymn, we would sing this. We get our food from Sainsbury's, we go there in the car. We rarely see a farmer's field, we rarely get that far. We buy our meat from Tesco's, the prices have come down. We thank the Lord for all our food from country and from town. So, this is this kind of modern spin. And thank you, thank you. Um, I might keep doing this. Right, so. That's it, no more singing. So, they, they, you know, but there was this modern spin because actually our relationship with food is so different from what it was even 25 years ago and certainly from the hundreds of years before then. You know, the, the point is we no longer plough fields and scatter. Somebody else does it for us. Now, when um, we look back in the Old Testament, I was looking at this passage in Deuteronomy and this was a, a people who were a people who lived off the land or, in fact, preparing to become a people who were going to live off the land um, and, you know, in Old Testament times, if the harvest went well, there was much celebrating and rejoicing. If the harvest went badly, then people would go hungry, or even um, they could starve in the worst situations. So the harvest and everything surrounding it was hugely important and a much more kind of real, tangible thing in people's lives. This is what it says um, in uh, the 11th chapter of Deuteronomy. So, if you faithfully obey the command I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. So this much more tangible relationship would they have with the food, basically in that context, they would spend a lot of their time and being preoccupied by what the weather was doing and praying for the right weather, praying for protection for the crops, and then when a good harvest would come in, they would spend time praising and celebrating What have been collected. And that would have felt very natural to them, but it's very, very different to us. You know, we don't have that experience of going into a supermarket and there not being food there. You know, some countries, you know, they may have that experience where you kind of go in and the supermarket shelves are empty or, you know, missing kind of core ingredients But actually we very, very rarely have that. The closest we might get is if on Christmas Eve you've not booked your Christmas turkey and you turn up late in the afternoon hoping there's still one there and you might make a dash for it and just beat someone to the last turkey and at that point you might utter a hallelujah. But other than that, we don't tend to praise and worship around the food that we eat. You know, we have so much um, in many cases. And obviously even in our country where the supermarkets can be stuffed with food, we know there are people who don't always have the finance or the resources to be able to um, buy the the food from that supermarket. And that is a a shame on our society that that is still the case when we have so much. I'm often challenged by Jesus' comment about the rich. And he says this um, in Matthew chapter 19. Truly, I tell you, it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know, those of us who, and in, obviously, the global context, this would be most of us, would consider ourselves to be rich or at least comfortable or comfortably well-off. You know, the, the truth is we don't tend to do gratitude well. The truth is that those people that live a much more hand-to-mouth existence or a much more tangible relationship with the food and how it's prepared you know, tend to live more grateful lives. Those of us who we just naturally expect the food to be there and that we have the resources to buy it, often we forget the importance of having gratitude in all points in our lives. Often, um, you know, we can almost have that sense of this is something that I deserve, this is something that I'm entitled to rather than something I ought to be grateful for. Um, And that. I believe it's a really important part of Scripture that again and again, and even though our relationship with food and other blessings has changed, that, that core value of being a people who are grateful, a people that acknowledge that when we eat, we look up to God and thank Him for the food that we have. You know, when I was growing up, we always used to, to say grace before we would eat. And sometimes it would be a bit of a ritual, sometimes something we would rattle off before kind of diving in. But actually, there is a real benefit and a real importance in taking time in our lives to acknowledge the blessings that we have, not just food, so many other rich blessings that we have in our lives and being thankful for those things and, and sowing a seed of gratitude in our lives. And along with gratitude, that heart that wants to give, that out of the much that we have, looking for every opportunity, Sarah has already talking, uh, spoken about this this morning, the opportunity to give to other people, other people in the world around us, in, the, in our lives or people beyond. Um, so that is our first... Perhaps authentic uh, thing are authentic blessings. The second point is this: I believe as a people, we want to live and experience, or have authentic experiences in our life. Um, another article I read over the month uh, said was talking about how, as a modern society or part of the modern world, we often suffer as a result of what I would call news overload. We receive. Too much news, far more news than we can in any way meaningfully deal with. So in the morning when I wake up, I'm woken up by a radio alarm, uh, Radio 4 Today program, three hours of news. Now, I don't listen to all three hours before I get out of bed, but, you know, that's a lot of news right up there up front, and then often I'll sit down and go into my email, and my email program has news attached to it, so I'll often read some of the news en route to the email or go on social media, Facebook, something like that, and then people have posted up articles. So pretty early on in the day, before I've done much else, I may already have been bombarded by three or four different sources of news. And we live in this society where there is news all around us. It's a 24 7 news cycle, constantly pumping news in our direction. And some of that news is good news and uplifting, but let's be honest, much of the news is bad news and is depressing. A huge proportion of the news is things like um, societal disasters or social disasters, war zones natural disasters, political turmoil, different scandals, environmental disasters, all these terrible things that are happening all around the world, we receive so much bad news. And the problem is that we receive all this bad news, but in most cases, the reality is that we have very, very little ability to in any way meaningfully or positively impact these different situations that we hear about. So we hear about all these terrible things, these people that are facing terrible difficulties in their lives for all sorts of different reasons. And there's a huge part of us that wants to help, that wants to respond, but there is so little that we can do. You know, sometimes we can maybe give money if there's a particular natural disaster or a particular appeal, and I'm sure many of us do that. But even in the act of doing that, we have that sense that what we are doing is so, so insignificantly small. It's worth doing, but it still feels such a small response, a merest drop in the ocean of need that we might perceive. I saw a play, um, and as part of this play, it had this idea, or it, it talks about this, this idea that um, when the First World War was declared, in certain parts of the country, in certain rural communities, it took them several days to actually hear that the, the war had been declared. This massive, global, world-changing event that changed the whole course of human history... And yet it took them several days for that news to filter down to some of the more remoter regions and rural communities in society. How different that is from today. You know, they didn't have tweets telling them, oh, you know, hashtag World War Started or anything like that. They didn't have letters or newspapers that they you know, obviously the newspapers existed, but these people weren't reading daily newspapers that were sending news in their direction or listening to the radio. This thing just gradually filtered through and it took several days. How different from our society where we are Constantly in this 24 hour global news cycle. And the truth is, for many of us, we find that degree of suffering that we are hearing about and perceiving so overwhelming that often we can end up doing less to meaningfully help than even we might. I was reflecting on this and thinking about the story of Nehemiah, a leader from the Old Testament, um, who'd heard the news about the destruction of the city and the walls, city walls in Jerusalem. Um, And this is what it says um, in Nehemiah chapter 2. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why Why should my face not look sad when the city my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. So Nehemiah had heard this news about the, the city of Jerusalem. He felt very downcast and downhearted as a result of this. The king notices this. But what does Nehemiah want to do? He wants to go. He wants to experience this for himself, to tangibly see what he's heard about. You know, there is something very different about news that comes to us face-to-face rather than news through the radio or through the media or through the internet or through the TV. You know, what if more of the news that we heard was genuinely local news? And I mean really local news. Joe and I, we don't live in Cambridge itself. We live out in one of the villages in Dry Drayton. What if the news was something like family in Dry Drayton, boiler breaks, in need of electric heaters until they get it fixed? Actually, in that situation, there's something we could do. We've got an electric heater. We could take it across. We could help them. And that kind of news story, in a sense, we could respond to more positively. Or what about this one? Old woman in Coldhams Lane, lonely because she's spending her first Christmas alone, without her husband. Perhaps if we'd read that story, we might be moved on the way back from church or at some other point to go and visit someone so close to us. Often when news is kind of evaluated, local news very much seems like the poor relation of the kind of proper news, the national news, the international news but actually perhaps being close to the sources of the news that we receive, experiencing some of the, the things that are going on in people's lives and trying to then be available to be, in some ways, a difference in those situations would be no bad thing. There are so many ways that we can get involved in. I think one thing that charities do increasingly well is find ways of making things that seem so intangible far more tangible. I know many, many people in the church already are involved in things like child sponsorship programs, and they are incredible ways of saying okay there's this massive need for this whole generation of children in all sorts of different places in the world but actually you can tangibly and very really be involved in the life not of changing the whole picture but of completely transforming the life experiences of the one person you're involved with and perhaps trying to find those kind of opportunities in our lives are ways of making those experiences more kind of authentic in our day-to-day situations Okay, the third point is this. Perhaps as people, we're always keen to try and live ever more authentic relationships. It's true to say that over the past 10, 15 years, relationships and the way that relationships happen have completely transformed. There's been a kind of social media revolution. We are more now, now far more connected than we ever used to be with far more people, possibly. But often within that, people can still be very lonely, often achingly so. Now, this isn't in any way going to be a, a rant against the ills of social media, because obviously social media is a wonderful thing that can bring so much positive and so much kind of significant relational things into people's lives. But I think it is important that we recognise that it is a wonderful tool that can develop and maintain and initiate and create and you know, um, continue different relationships. But that it is a tool that we need to mix with other tools. Actually, you know, we can spend a lot of our lives and we can get increasingly sucked into a world where we spend a lot of our time engaging with people on social media and that's a good thing to do and those connections can be hugely meaningful. But at the same time, there's something of a different order of kind of significance when we meet the people face-to-face. And that face-to-face kind of meet up with a friend where we can kind of sit with them or see them. Those aspects of our lives are equally important. I was thinking about the Christmas story and um, the soon-to-be Mother Mary... And this passage in Luke where it talks about Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. It says this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted um, her cousin Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your um, greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And what I like about this story is that once Mary found out that she was pregnant and that her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant, she didn't want to just send a note or send a message. She wanted to actually be physically present with her. She wanted to go and see her, not just see her face, but to embrace her and to feel the baby that was growing inside her. And there is something about that kind of connection. And as I was reflecting on this and thinking about, you know, I guess my own life, if I'm true, it's, and just thinking about the year that's coming up, it was thinking that actually perhaps all of us need that encouragement to very much plan into the fabric of our lives time that we spend with people that are important to us in many, many different ways, many, many different contexts, but making sure that it is something we do intentionally, planning to be around people that we know do us good, that encourage us, that inspire us, but also that we, in turn, can do good towards and can encourage and inspire. And there are so many ways that we can connect, but making sure that that is a real preoccupation of our lives amongst the business of all sorts of different things, of you know, work and family and all sorts of different areas, making sure that we prioritise that time. Christmas is so well known as being a joyous time of year that we spend it with people, with family, with friends, often people we don't see from year to year. But perhaps there is something in that that says, you know, we need to take more of that experience of being around those people out of just Christmas and doing it as much as we can at other points in the year. So that was point three. Third, uh, fourth and final point is this. And it's looking at how we can try to lead a more authentic faith. And obviously this is something I'm sure we all do in many different ways. One of the wonderful things, I think, about the shared faith that we have as a community here is that we can meet like this and we, you know, for anyone who's visiting or doesn't regularly come here, you know, this is usually how we tend to meet. So we usually start with worship, you know, kind of high energy, contemporary style worship um, and then you know, we have a thoughtful and inspirational message. I know you're all waiting for that still. And then after that, the, you know, there's some time together for kind of community and connecting with people over coffee and things like that. And that's kind of the pattern of how our, our kind of corporate faith. Is expressed together, and though you know this corporate expression is obviously the same for each of us, there is also we have a different and a unique personal faith that looks very different from person to person. Here, you know, we, I'm sure in large regard, believe mostly the same things, but how those beliefs and how those values are expressed in our lives can be very different. You know, there are all sorts of models and things that can. Ins- kind of encourage us and inspire us to how we shape and how we craft our kind of personal walk and our personal faith you know there's i don't know if anyone is planning for 2018 to be the year when they read through the whole bible in a year an amazing thing to do or you're know, perhaps you're going to start keeping a prayer journal or write down some of your prayers or try and go through a, a pattern every every day where you pray through the lord's prayer and think about the different lines and expand upon each of those phrases all sorts of different ways of structuring and organising and growing our personal faith. Um, you know, and there are all sorts of different ways, but the truth is God will speak to us in many, many different and varied ways. You know, sometimes it can be through this Bible reading passage, or sometimes it can be through this Christian book, but sometimes it can be just through a novel you're reading, or a TV programme you're watching, or a sausage-making kit in a Christmas gifts catalogue. God speaks to us in so many unusual ways in different ways. And what we need to ensure is that actually we are a people who always have our ears, our eyes, and most importantly, our hearts open to hearing from him. You know, we can be overwhelmed by the options of ways of kind of accessing and developing our personal faith. There are so many amazing speakers who you can listen to online. There are incredible books written, you know, thousands and thousands and millions of books written by incredibly talented Christian authors, there are events you can go to, there are different Bible reading notes you can get. There's just so many different ways of accessing and developing our personal faith. But amongst all of that, which can all be very beneficial, it is important, I believe, actually that sometimes we step away from all of that and just spend some time to, to maybe just read and think and listen, just for ourselves, just to listen to God. You know, questions like, what is God saying to you? about the year that has just passed? What is God saying to you about the year that has just passed? Is that a question that you've taken some time just in the quietness to reflect on? What is God saying to you about the year that is to come? What is God saying to you about the people in your life and the the situations they're facing or the, the big decisions that you have coming up? And actually in the business of all those different sources of kind of personal faith growth development which are all incredibly valuable but along with that just taking time to step back and just listen and just reflect and just try and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And I would really encourage you if you have any time in the rest of the day or perhaps tomorrow, the first day of the new year to take some time just to dwell on those questions. You know, What is God saying to you about the year that you've just led? What is God saying to you about the year that is to come. It would seem odd almost on a message on this the last day of the year to not even mention New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you're a fan of New Year's resolutions or not. I'm a huge fan of New Year's resolutions. I think you know, something that comes through the Bible again and again is that idea of having a new start, a fresh beginning. And you know, a, a really tangible fresh beginning is the beginning of a new calendar year. Obviously, if things are going wrong in your life, you don't need to wait until January, till it comes around. But when we're in the last few days of December, what better time to reflect on the year that is coming and to think about where there are in our lives areas where we might want to make course corrections. Perhaps things that are going really well that you want to spend more time investing in and growing in your life. Relationships, connections that you want to develop. Perhaps course corrections, things in your life that aren't going so well or where you're getting into bad habits or bad kind of situations and that you actually need to make a course correction to take you in a different place you know I believe we shouldn't just have good New Year's resolutions we should have new terms resolutions new month's resolutions new weeks of resolutions we should take every opportunity we can to make a fresh start but again I would encourage you to take time around today around tomorrow the first few days of the New Year to actually meaningfully set some time aside to think about those things in your life and where we might make changes or course corrections, or where we may look to move forward even further. Just as we uh, bring this kind of meeting to a close, we're going to do a few things. We're going to sing a a song of worship um, in a minute. As we do that, I would like to just give the opportunity for anyone, if there's anyone here who has never made that first step or commitment of becoming a Christian, and you're going to be given that opportunity in a few minutes to do that, Sarah's going to lead an appeal when actually, if you've never prayed that prayer and said, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord and leader of my life, we're going to give you the opportunity of doing that this morning. We've said New Year's can be about new starts. The greatest new start of all is giving our lives over to Jesus and living a a new life in him. So if you've never made that decision, or perhaps you've made that decision in the past, but it's something you've moved away from, perhaps last year wasn't a good year from that respect, but you want to come back, then Sarah is going to make that appeal, and I would just encourage you over the next couple of minutes to prepare your hearts for that, to be thinking about whether that is something you would like to respond to. The rest of us, let's just bow our heads in prayer as we prepare to sing this last song. Father God, we are so grateful and so thankful for the many, many blessings that you have poured into our lives. Forgive us for the times when we have been flipping about those things, when we have not taken those things and given. I pray that you would make gratitude and giving very much the fabric of our lives I pray that through the year that is to come we would be those that are increasingly developing authentic relationships, we would find those people that we connect with and where we've already got those relationships we would pour more into them, we would find new relationships where we can really know people and we can really be known by people pray that you would give us different opportunities to impact meaningfully and positively the lives of those around us, those very close to us or those very far from us, but to have a meaningful impact on the difficult situations that people face. And I pray that it would be a year that would be marked by our ever closer walking with you, that you would shine a light on our lives, that we would have hearts that are open and ears that are ready to listen, so that if there are course corrections that are needed, changes that we need to bring, that we would be receptive to hearing those things. You would give us the determination and the the self-control and maybe the people around us to help us see those things through.